Hey folks, Caleb Musgrave here. This is just a little uh, piece at the beginning to apologize. We had some crazy technical difficulties with this episode for some reason. Uh, this is actually the fifth time I've recorded this episode. Uh, the first three times we had it, just it just wouldn't actually process and actually record and save properly. The fourth time, we thought it worked fine, everything sounded great, we uploaded it, and it went up on Sunday, and I went to listen to it, because that was the first time after we uploaded that I was actually going to be able to listen to it, because we upload these things on a schedule, so it's all kind of preset and pre-organized, so I don't actually hit, uh, once I hit the button, I don't think about that podcast again until it actually comes out, because we're done, and I'm already recording the next episode. So, this episode... Uh, was supposed to air on Sunday. It's airing tonight uh, or early this morning, Thursday morning. It was supposed to air Sunday. It took all this time, <clears throat> sorry, all this time to get it repaired, and we realized we just couldn't save that content, that uh, that video, that that recording. So I just spent the last you know hour and a half getting this all put together to re-record, make sure it's all done. And so it's currently uh, 1.40 in the morning, or 20 to 2 in the morning on Thursday morning. I apologize for how late the podcast episode is. Please forgive me. We will be back to our regular schedule this coming Sunday with the next episode of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast, which is about Monoman or wild rice. So stay tuned and enjoy. Here is the boys episode. Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Caleb Musgrave. And I'm coming to you with a story of six men, six brothers of mine, men that have helped shape me, men that have helped inspire me, men that have literally saved my ass and have changed my worldviews and have helped form me into who I am today as a business owner, an educator, a friend, a partner. These men inspire me on a daily basis to this day and will always inspire me. I've talked about in my past my mentors. These weren't my mentors. These were my colleagues. These are my colleagues. These are my brothers in arms who I've learned with, shared with, spent time with, laughed with, cried with, have spent un like impossible numbers of time just literally shooting the breeze with and having the greatest times of my life these six men are John Campbell Rob Mania Mikhail McCurrieth Joe Flowers the great and terrible Norseman Dave Williams and Nick Dillingham these six men who I consider brothers of mine have helped form me and mold me and break me down and build me back up into a better person. I adore them. 
I admire them, and I wanted to make this special episode a love, a poetry, or a, a waxing poetically of love for these six amazing individuals. And if you have friends like these, you're in good care. And if you have friends like these, I want you to reach out to them as soon as you can and let them know that you love them. Let them know that you care about them. Let them know that you think about them. Because there's no need for this toxic masculinity crap. Don't act like you're a tough, uh, no man is an island kind of attitude. you got to be tough and not tell about your feelings and tell other guys you care about them. I love every single one of these guys. And I love every single person that's in my life. I am surrounded by amazing, badass individuals of every spectrum of the human condition. And I love every single one of them. But this one, this episode is about the six men that have helped make me into the woodsman that I am today. Uh, not through necessarily mentoring, but being my friends and going on the journey with me. And so I want to start chronologically with the guys that I've known the longest and work my way up to the men that I've known most recent, but still have as much of an impact. Uh, there is no first is best or last is worse or anything like that. These six, it's just a chronological order, okay? So, all six of these guys are important. All six of these guys are equally as admirable and and deserving of adoration and respect. Uh, but I want to start with the first one, because it's the longest story. So, well, Not the longest story, but the longest friendship. And that's John. John Campbell, uh, best known in the YouTube world as the Arizona Bushman. I've known since I was 15 years old, maybe 16 years old. So over half my life now, over half my life I've known this guy. And he has, you know, been probably my longest friend in bushcraft and survival skills. And we kind of got started around the same time. I was much younger than him. He's, he's about 11 years older than me. And we found each other on MySpace. Yeah, that's how far back we're going, folks. When MySpace was an actual valid thing to talk about. Uh, John and I found each other on a survival forum on there. One of the MySpace groups. And we hit it off right away. Uh, we both loved metal like heavy metal music. We both loved the punk rock culture. We both loved knives. We both loved traditional knowledge, ancestral skills. And so we got along really well. And our senses of humor were pretty much on par. And so even though I was a, you know, snot-nosed teenager, he made space for me. He made room for me. And he made sure that I felt um, valued. And we would bounce ideas off of each other all the time and when I finally became an adult several years later we became colleagues because by then John had decided to move into making videos and teaching what he knew of survival and quote-unquote primitive skills but I call ancestral skills and bushcraft and so John started up the Arizona Bushman channel back way back when YouTube is kind of this fledgling operation. One of the earliest survival channels on YouTube. Nowadays, everyone and their uncle has a YouTube channel. I, I'm a culprit of it as well, of having videos on survival skills and trying to become the next big name in YouTube survival. Because, you know, there's that one guy that got on Discovery. 
and John was one of the first. Him, uh, Andrew Price from uh, Dryad Bushcraft, those are like the first two people to make YouTube videos on Bushcraft. Well before the Dave Canterbury's and Joe Robinettes of the world, it was John Campbell and Andrew Price. And so, and I've only got to meet Andrew once, and I've only had a few conversations with him over the years. Awesome guy, nonetheless. But John, like, we we cut our teeth on the same issues, and we would bounce ideas off each other. He'd be like, so how do you make cordage? Well, this is how I make it. What do you do? Oh, that's different than how I do it. This is what I would do. His knowledge of friction fires is second to none. And when I was, you know, mastering the bow drill, he'd already mastered the hand drill. And I was stunned by that because the hand drill was so esoteric and complicated and impossible for my young, supple baby hands that had not gained the calluses of hours upon hours of grueling torture from rubbing a spindle into a baseboard with your bare hands. John had. And so we would bounce ideas and thoughts off each other. And John was really where the seed began of what later became Canadian bushcraft, but also where the seed began for Brothers of Bushcraft. Some of you probably own the knife known as the Fieldcraft or the B.O.B. knife from Topps Knives. They're one of their best sellers to date. Uh, that was designed by several of the individuals on this list who are known as the Brothers of Bushcraft. Not everybody that's on this list is B.O.B., but that was the group we kind of eventually formed in around 2010-2011 era. We started calling ourselves the Brothers of Bushcraft because we were so close to each other. And John was where the, it all kind of started. And John has done amazing things. And at the time, you know, 2008, 2009, into the 2010s, uh, or 20, yeah, into the 2010s, John had the Arizona Bushman Forum. And it was an online chat forum that wasn't, you know, on Facebook or MySpace or anything else like that. It was its own forum, its own thing that we could go on to and share with a lot of people. And they could share their information back to us. And that's really where a lot of my ideas started to come from, from how I would form the Canadian Bushcraft chat group that's on Facebook. You can go to Canadian Bushcraft. Go to Facebook and type in Canadian Bushcraft. You'll find the page. Please follow us there. But you can also follow, find the group that you can join. It's an online forum with outdoors instructors from all over the world, but a lot of them from Canada. And people sharing openly a lot of knowledge. A lot of knowledge. And we keep it pretty clean. We try to keep spam out of there and all this stuff. And that all kind of came from learning under John and how he ran his forum. So clean. Nice, tight ship. Uh, still a lot of laughs. Still a lot of goofing around and a lot of shenanigans. But it was an amazing place where I met a lot of other people who became close friends and family to me. Uh, and so, John, man, I'm really hoping you're listening to this. John, I'm hoping, every single one of these gentlemen I'm hoping to have on the podcast somewhere down the line. We're still figuring out how to do good interviews on here. I've got a couple lined up that have already been recorded. I'm just trying to edit them because technology is not my forte, folks. I'm a woodsman, first and foremost. Technology is not what I'm strong with. I really do need a tech uh, te uh, some a technical advisor, not technical advisor, what's the term? a technician of all things over here to help record all this stuff and make sure everything's sounding good. And we're we're working on it. We're working on it. But anyways, uh, John was really where that all started. And John, I'm hoping you're listening. And if you are, 
I love you, man. I miss you so much. I can't wait to have our next conversation. We, John and I would talk until daylight, no matter what, at least once a week for years. And then just because life is the way it is, I now can't stay up that late. I have to go to bed at some point. So, John, man, I love you. I adore you. I admire you. I hope you're doing well, brother. And I hope to have you on the podcast soon because I want to talk about all these things that you've done over the years and everything you, you've accomplished. You were an amazing inspiration for me. So that one out of the way without choking on my tears yet uh, is second runner-up, the second longest person I've known. Uh, the long, uh, the second longest friend I've had in the outdoor industry soon after John, within a few months, was a guy named Rob Mania, or Robert Mania. And Rob, again, I met on MySpace in those same forums or online groups, and we at first didn't hit it off immediately. He was like, who's this punk nose, like this punk ass kid that thinks he knows everything? And I really was that kind of kid. I still am that kind of kid. Uh, and for my, I was like, who's this old fogey? <laughs> and we would bicker about survival skills and like theory around survival all the time. And eventually we realized, man, we get along actually. We actually do get along. And Rob uh, is just this amazing guy. And he runs a website, amazing website. So John is Arizona Bushman. Rob is Practical Survivor from practicalsurvivor.com. He also works with Tribe Survival now days but uh, he was also a member of the Bushman forums and he was a member of a lot of other forums and groups and chats and stuff and Rob was one of the original four members of Brothers of Bushcraft and he was just and still is uh, a huge part of my life his kids are my nephew and niece like I don't care what anybody tells me on like genetics and such that Puerto Rican man has the children who are my nephew and niece and I have no Puerto Rican blood in me because he is blood to me through my heart and soul his children are incredible by the way they're such badasses in their own right but that's because they're raised by a badass father Rob has traveled all over North America and parts of South America and he's been learning survival skills from everyone and anyone that would show him and share with him and back in 2011 I was uh dating a girl in Texas, oddly enough. And Rob lived over in North Carolina, and he said, well, when are you planning on getting back to work when, you get, when you're done your vacation down in Texas? I was like, well, I honestly don't know if he'll be going back to work for like another month or so. And he was like, well, what if I come back with you to Canada and we go camping and you teach me winter survival skills? I was like, yeah, and we made a road trip of it. I, instead of flying back to Canada, I flew to North Carolina, met him in Raleigh, uh, we went back to his place, met his I got to meet his parents, got to meet his, his kids, or his kid at the time, and she was such a sweet little baby, so cute. And anyways, uh, Rob and I spent like a day or two there, getting our stuff together, helping, you know, make sure his vehicle was going to be safe to come into Canada with, uh, <laughs> meaning making sure there was no firearms in the vehicle or anything like that so that we wouldn't have him getting in any trouble by accident for, for getting, you know, a magazine clip for an AR-15 or something. And anyways, we cleared out the car, packed all of his stuff up, threw my luggage in, and we drove all the way from North Carolina to Buffalo, New York, checked out the falls because he had never seen uh, Niagara Falls before. Very romantic time. Very romantic time. Most of this all is, I would say, platonic love, but it's still a romance. All these stories are romantic to me. Uh, and I don't want to say bromantic. I don't want to get into that crap. Romantic is romantic. It's a beautiful story, and it's just, it warms my heart when I think about all these guys, you know? 
Anyways, Rob came up to, uh, to Ontario with me and we spent two weeks suffering in the woods, uh, teaching him everything I could. We'd come home once in a while back to my place here in Hiawatha and, and, and just kind of go over things and experience things and just had a grand old time. And then back in 2015, he came back with two other individuals on this list. And we did another two weeks of torture in the woods. And they lived in a smoky-ass teepee back in my camp, trying to survive, just trying to survive. And they, again, he was a founding member of Brothers of Bushcraft, along with John Campbell. And Rob, to this day, whenever we do finally get calls, because, again, we're busy now, he's running his life and raising his kids and I'm trying to make my life make sense and running all this chaotic stuff like podcasts and live videos and trying to record real videos and teaching online it, it, it's an, it's hard to get a hold of each other these days but when we do man it's like no time was lost every time and Rob brother I love you so much and I miss you and I hope you're doing well and I hope you're enjoying your life with those great kids of yours and that great experience that you always get to have doing everything that's so cool rob is like my like all these guys are pretty cool but rob's like my cool big brother like that's how i've always looked at rob since i was a teenager he's like my cool big brother and so i adore that man i adore you bastard i love you to death anyways i don't want to get too much i'm again gonna get start getting choked up if i keep talking about rob the third individual i met through john's forum the bushman forum and he kind of forced his way into my life. Not not that I was trying to avoid him or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. It was, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a cell phone when I was, you know, early 20s, 2009, 2010 era. I didn't really have uh, much. I was pretty much home, practically homeless, um, surfing on friends' couches and just trying to make Canadian bushcraft work, uh, sometimes just sleeping in the woods, even in the dead of winter. But... One time, I happened to be up, you know, in Buckhorn, near Buckhorn, where my parents live, and I just happened to be at their place, had dinner, was going to stay the night, and my dad gets a phone call, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and he's like, there's some guy named Mike on the phone for you, and I was like, I don't know any Mikes, take the phone, he's like, hello, he goes, is this, is this Caleb Musgrave, I'm like, uh, yeah, was, is this? And then tries to pronounce my my handle that I used to go by on the forum, which was a, a bunch of Ojibwe words, Anishinaabe Moan words, and was pretty close to pronouncing it pretty good. He had a few slip ups, but then again, his name is not easy to pronounce either. And he was well, it's this guy. For, he used to go by Northwest Manitou on the group, uh, on the forums and such. And he goes, "It's Northwest Manitou." I was like, "Oh yeah, I know you from the forum. How'd you, how'd you find my father's number? How'd you find me?" He goes, "Well." I knew that you lived in Hiawatha, so I tried to get a hold of everybody down there with the same last name as you, <laughs> and finally somebody told me where you're, that you're up at your dad's, so they gave me his number and I called. So, that's kind of stalkerish, but cool, okay, interesting that you did that, because I just want to, you know, put a, a voice to the name and the face. I was like, right on, man, like, nice to talk to you, and that was kind of it for the night, and then, like, the next day he added me on one of those instant messengers that are now completely obsolete and don't exist anymore, really. And he added me on there, and we chatted off and on, and then we started to grow this, like, rapport with each other, and it was this rapport of, like, just tormenting the hell out of each other. He was, like, that one brother that has to pick on his baby brother. <laughs> and it was all out of love, all out of love, but it was hazing all the time with with Mikhail. 
and that's his name, Mikhail Makuriev. And I met Mikhail in like 2009-ish online, started talking really heavily by 2010, and by, you know, 2012, by 2011, he was starting to get into his own, like, pace of his own stuff. Mikhail spent most of his time in the American Northwest, as well as in Utah, and parts of his life in Puerto Rico as well. And so he had, like, this cool, like, change of perspectives of different things. And also his lifestyle was different than the other guys. His stuff, he was very fascinated by tribal knowledges, especially from the islands, like the, the Pacific the Pacific Islanders of different cultures as well as places like in Vietnam and uh, the Tai Long rat traps that come from places from Southeast Asia and all these different cultures and he had fascinations with them and so where the other guys were focusing on just like quote unquote I hate that word but primitive skills Mikhail was kind of diving into a specific subject matter that, that fascinated him and since then Mikhail was always a tinkerer. He was always showing us whenever we had a Skype session with all the boys, he would be showing us all the little projects he was tinkering on. And I remember like one night I was like teaching him flint napping on Skype in my bedroom with a bucket of water, breaking flakes off of a piece of obsidian while he was figuring out how to do it himself. And now he flint naps and he's a phenomenal flint napper. Uh, so I kind of, you know, toot my own horn there. I'm not saying I was a, a great flint nap teacher, but he figured it out and I was helping him. So, cool. Kudos to both of us. But more importantly, Mikhail was figuring out, like, finger weaving and making amazing uh, tamatlats, which are, like, some people pronounce tamatlatls, which are, like, the Aztec slings for th uh, slinging stones. And he was also just good at making slings and throwing stones with slings. One of the best slingers I've ever met in my life, frankly. And as the years went, we just got closer and closer as kids again became like my nephew and niece and another niece now and i just adore those kids they're so cool and now they're getting older and it's freaking me out same with john's uh stepkids they've gotten older and it's freaking me out but mikhail while he was tinkering with all these things he would just come up with these things and show them to us and we'd be like oh yeah that's cool that's neat moving on to this subject let's get back into survival theory arguments let's argue about why a big knife is not as good as a small knife and we just keep going back in those arguments mikhail would be like yeah i made this stove design i, I really like this stove it's based off like a nimble well stove it's like oh that's cool 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 so let's get back into machete versus bowie knife and like stupid stupid pointless debates that we always had on those chats and eventually Mikhail actually just went out and cut and made like three or four of these stoves. And he sent one to me. He's like, test that thing. And that was like early 2011, I think. Early 2011. Just after me and Rob did our trip. Rob had his initial trip up here in Canada with me. And Mikhail sent me this stove. And it was this brilliant twig burning stove that completely breaks down into just five components a floor plate and four walls packs down extremely small and it burned wood really well and the first time i used it it brought a pot of water to a boil at the exact same speed that very same pot would come to a boil on my kitchen stove and that is when i went holy crap hey mikhail like you're on a roll with this thing. He goes, yeah, I figured as much. I've been working on it for like a year. I'm like, well, dude, I'm sorry that I wasn't paying attention to that. This thing's incredible. Can, can I like write about this stuff? He goes, well, I'm actually kind of thinking of, you know, manufacturing it. I was like, that's even cooler. What are you going to call it? I've gone through a few names. One that keeps kind of coming back to me is Emberlit Stove. The Emberlit, the Emberlit Stove, or the Emberlite. I don't know. And he goes with Emberlit. And Emberlit 
almost overnight became the camp stove of the 2010s. The, like this is before the core stove and the firebox and all these other you know twig burning stoves that have got huge marketing across North America and they sell X amount of thousands of units a year and all this stuff. The Emberlet was like the OG commercial twig stove. Like really was that folding breakdown twig stove, mind you. There was the Bush Buddy and a few other stoves with Don Cavellis and a few other folks prior. But this is the first one that like would fold down into an envelope and would be packable in a Ziploc baggie. And Mikhail just tinkers, and he still tinkers, and he's playing with stuff all the time. And in the last couple of years, he's become a bladesmith, and he's making these amazing, beautiful, like, machetes and parangs, and some of those... He's always been obsessed with making his knife, the knife that he will carry for the rest of his life. And he he did it. He he's created them. And Mikhail was one of the driving forces behind what eventually became known as the Fieldcraft knife. It was me and Mikhail for like a week debating and arguing on Skype with his he was he was learning CAD drawing just for that knife. And he we would sit there and he'd work on the blade and I would tell him what I wanted to see in the handle and we would debate them and debate them. It's like, oh no, that's starting to look like this kind of a knife. Oh, it's starting to look like that kind of a knife. We don't want it to be the exact same as every other knife. We want to make it our knife. And then we got John's input and the next guy who I'm going to talk about, Joe Flowers, all their input. And we kind of tossed all of our ideas together, came to a conclusion of what we liked and what we didn't like, made compromises where we had to. And that came out to be the Fieldcraft knife. And really a lot of that was the, the work of Mikhail. Like at the end of the day, Mikhail is one of the main reasons that that knife exists to this day. And he's too humble to just like take the full credit that a lot of us think he should. Like Joe and I had a talk a few about a month back about it and flat out said like, it's Mikhail's design. I, I designed work on the handle. I had my input on the blade, but Mikhail really drew it out and made it what it is and made it beautiful. So Mikhail is a huge part of my life beyond just, you know, Skype calls and designing a knife together. Back in 2014, summer of 2014, I moved to Wyoming. And Mikhail lives in Utah. And Mikhail really, really wanted to meet in person finally. And I think one of the funniest parts of this whole thing is you're going to find out from this whole podcast episode that you should meet all those strange men you meet on the internet. You should meet them in person. It seems to be the conclusion of all these stories. But be safe about it. I met these guys after years of conversations and getting to know their families and getting to know these people in a safe way as best as I could. And honestly, I'm also, you know, not the easiest victim. I'm a large guy. I'm not usually the intended target of people from the internet. Uh, I don't have money. <laughs> so I, I felt pretty safe meeting a lot of these guys. And so I was surprised one day when we went to Utah for the job. We were going to stay in Utah for a night, load up in a place called Moab, and then move over into Colorado for a month of uh, hell, frankly. It was a terrible experience. I still have not forgiven the state of uh, Colorado for what I went through there, and I don't know if I ever will. But while we're in Moab, we go to a store called Gearheads. And Gearheads, if you've ever been to Moab, Utah, you've heard of, you've gone to Gearheads then. It's an amazing outdoor store camping, mostly, you know, revolving around mountain biking and rock climbing. Because that's kind of the culture that is in Moab, Utah, is power sports, 
bike, uh, mountain biking, and rock climbing. And some rafting and canoeing and kayaking too, but mostly rock climbing. So we're checking out that store, and I turn around, and there's this hulk of a man smiling at me from below a Tilly hat. And I look at him like, is that Mikhail? And my boss, who was also a friend of ours, mutual friend, was grinning from ear to ear, goes, yeah, he uh, wanted to surprise you. He drove the four hours to get here to meet you in person. And we hung out for like a whole day. And he was just the coolest person on the planet, showing us how well he could sling, demonstrating a hand drill fire, just being all out awesome and hilarious and so cool. It was the greatest way to meet someone that way. It was the greatest time of my life. And then near the end of my career in the States, I had some trouble. I was between paychecks at the job and I had to go home. Uh, my original plan was actually to drive back with Mikhail. We were going to come back here and we are going to go to a big outdoors gathering that happens here in Ontario called Harvest Gathering. And then we were going to go camping uh, in, the, in the late uh, summer, early fall of Ontario when there's no mosquitoes and there's all the big open lakes and all the canoeing you can do and all that stuff. But sadly, Mikhail's schedule couldn't fit it. So my, my plan, my number one plan to get back fell apart. And it wasn't his fault. He, he had to work. He has kids to feed and bills to pay and a life to live. I don't blame him for that whatsoever. That's not his fault whatsoever. Uh, it was my bad scheduling and putting kind of putting my eggs in one basket. That's not a good thing to do. And I didn't save up the money for the travel home. Because while I was in the States, I had accumulated a life's worth of supplies and gear and tools and memories that I just couldn't part with anymore. And... I started organizing my way home. I can't really afford to fly home. I already flew home once earlier in the year or in the summer, and it was restrictive. And when I started doing the math of all my stuff to go home, I couldn't do it. I would be leaving 90% of my actual camping gear in the States, and I just couldn't figure out how to do that without losing a life's worth of, of, of stuff that meant a lot to me as well as the things that I'd accumulated while I was there. So I started organizing a train home. Well, the next train would be going up into like Billings, Montana, and then from there all the way up into Alberta. And then it would be another like four or five days before that train would go to, towards Toronto. And then I'd have to get from Toronto to Peterborough, uh, the closest city to where I live now. And uh, I started calling, I was like, so... I have all this luggage. Where am I going to be able to store it? How much is going to be? To, and they're like, well, you don't have any, like, you're saying you're camping out there. I'm like, well, yeah, like, you can't have knives or axes or saws or anything. I'm like, well, that's, you know, like, my kit. I have my tools. I'm like, yeah, those can't come on the train. Well, what do you mean they can't come on the train? Well, yeah, they're restricted. You can't have them. I was like, but they're in a locked case. They're going to be in, like, storage. Doesn't matter. Someone breaks into that storage train, stor storage cart, and breaks open that lock. They can get an axe and start axe murdering on the train. I'm like, okay, fair. If I have my pistol on me, would you stop me? Nope, that's your Second Amendment rights. You have the right to have that handgun. I'm like, uh, okay. Okay, whatever. Not going to argue that. Gave me a perspective. Okay, bus. It was going to be two weeks to get home. 
because I'd be dropped in Helena, Montana, then brought over to Billings, and then go up to Edmonton and wait five days for another bus to take me the rest of the way to Toronto and be like this two-week experience. And I have to be paying hotel rooms and and food for those two weeks. It's like I I, I can't afford that either. Like all my plans have fallen apart. How am I going to get home? And I'm getting ready to like basically call my dad and beg for a loan. And I was panicking, and Mikhail found out. Mikhail was like, mm where are you? Uh, currently Hewlett, Wyoming. Can you get to Casper? Talk to some of my coworkers. Yeah, they can drop me off there sometime in the next couple of days. Why? Arrange for, uh, for tomorrow. I'll come up. I'll get you. Now, just to put into perspective, that was a 16-hour drive one way. Mikhail arrives at 3 in the afternoon the next day, meets us in a mall, in a mall parking lot, load up our gear, grab some food in the store, in the, in the, mall, in the mall, get in to his Jeep, loaded, to, loaded for bear with all my equipment, and drive back to Salt Lake City. And I'm not quite sure what the plan is, but when we get there, he's already basically covered my plane ticket for my gear. I just have to cover my, my plane ticket myself, my, my, all my stuff. And he's like, don't worry. Let's plan for me to come up and visit you and I'll bring the rest of your stuff. And he did. He did the very, that very winter. He came up with Robinia and Norseman, who's another guy on the list and brought the rest of my equipment with me, with him and like covered all these expenses that like uh, all this, like, and he made me the, he made it so it was inexpensive for me because I didn't have to be home for a week. But this is my last chance to get out kind of thing if I was going to take a train or a bus or anything. Whereas with Mikhail, already in Salt Lake City area, with the plane ticket paid for, we had a week. So it was cheaper plane ticket because it wasn't like right there on the spot. You know how it works with plane tickets. And so we just played in the woods for the next week. He showed me the shop where he did all of his knives, made all the stoves, introduced me to his family, had me sleeping on his couch in my boxers with I, co- I completely kept forgetting to ask politely for a blanket so I just kept using a bear skin I had and scaring the crap out of his kids every morning with this large hulking man draped in a bear skin I was wearing clothes but I was draped in a bear skin it was weird looking and he just introduced me to so many things hand fishing for trout <laughs> uh, making hand drill fires right after a rainstorm in the in the desert the high desert areas around Utah uh, checking out the Wasatch Mountains where Jeremiah Johnson was filmed. And then he just sent me on my way home. And I got home and was able to handle my life because he took care of me like that. And he didn't have to. He had no obligation to do that for me. He just did it because he cared. And there's nothing... Even if I paid him back for every penny that he put towards a like gas and mileage and everything, everything, I still would be touching a tip of the iceberg of what I'm indebted to with him. And not indebted morally or ethically or anything like that. He means so much because he's done so much for me. And I love him to death and I will fight for him every time someone tries to rip him off or do anything, you know backhanded or cloak and dagger about business and stuff. I'm like, no, not happening to Mikhail. Mikhail's too important. <laughs> I love Mikhail. Dude, I, I know you're listening because you're always, you know, creeping in on my stuff and watching what I'm doing and observing me like the big brother you are. So if you I know that you're listening. So with that, Mikhail, you mean the world to me. And I love you 
from the bottom of my twisted black heart. I love you so much. <laughs> Getting choked up. Said I wouldn't do that. Let's get to a fun uh, a f- a fun subject instead of like getting me all emotional still gonna be emotional because I love all these guys but Joe Flowers is to bushcraft what Pee Wee Herman is to television (laughs) I just wanted to say that publicly it's one of the funniest lines I've ever heard in my life and I just had to say it Joe Flowers is this amazing powerhouse of energy and raw energy when it comes down to teaching and being excited about stuff and working with youth and teaching bush skills and survival skills and all these amazing things. And I first came across Joe, not through the forums, not through Facebook or MySpace or any of that stuff. Lord, no. I found him through working with Tops Knives. I had at that point been being, uh, I was a knife tester for Tops Knives and reviewing their gear since late 2009, early 2010. And during that time, they sent me a knife called the Shango Knife, uh, named after Papa Shango, who's a a god of the Caribbean, but also from Vadun culture and African culture, West African culture. And the knife was very clever. It was a neck knife that had all these little things that made it simple, elegant, and work really well. And I loved it. And I sought him out online. I I was like, designed by Joe Flowers, started Googling the name, found him on Facebook and messaged him. I was like, Joe, hey, I know you don't know me from anybody, but I've been testing your knife for Topps Knives the last few weeks. I'm in love with it. Whatever you did here is brilliant. You must have a lot of knowledge. And he's like, oh, thanks, dude. Appreciate that. Very polite. Couple of, you know, months into our budding friendship, uh, we decided to have a Skype call like we did with, like I did with Mikhail and Rob and John and everybody else. And Joe was pure caffeinated chaos and was bouncing off the walls and running around chatting, making these hilarious jokes and all these crazy stories and amazing knowledge. And I just was like, this, this guy is insane. And to this day, he's one of the wildest guys I know while at the same time being one of the most responsible guys I know and one of the most knowledgeable guys I know. And Joe is, like, the joke I always make with people is Joe is the only gringo I'll listen to when it comes down to machete knowledge. Joe spent a lot of time in the Caribbean and in South America learning about machetes and learning about jungle survival and jungle craft. And that's not all of his background. He's also teaches traditional camping and ancestral skills and survival skills in North America. And around the time that we met online, he was around the time that Mikhail, Rob, and John and I had started to form this group that we were calling the Brothers of Bushcraft. And Joe was immediately on the list of people we'd like to bring into the fold. And Joe, man, dude, you are so skilled on so many layers and so many levels and I just don't know where to start with talking about you Joe by the time I met him had already started working with Condor uh, a subsection or a, a, a child company or whatever the term is the, the official term Joe will correct me on later I'm sure uh, of Imacasa which makes machetes and shovels and all those tools for El Salvador And Joe had started to design machetes and knives for them and started to really help spearhead Condor 
into the bushcraft and survival realm from the wood lore knife or the, the bush lore knife, sorry, the bush lore knife design that he developed to the parangs that he put out, the kukris that he put out, all these designs that he put out, literally hundreds of designs over his lifetime. And the guy's only four or five years older than me. And I have two. One that he helped design, the fieldcraft knife. And so when you're talking about like, holy crap, like a lot of people are always saying, like, I can't believe how much experience and world knowledge and world experience and all this stuff you've had, Caleb, and you're only like 32. Joe's only a couple years older than me, and he had all this stuff before he was in his 30s. Like, Joe is inspiring to me all the time. And a few years back, quite a few years back now, Joe began Bushcraft Global, this amazing powerhouse of bushcraft tourism. And he would bring people down to Colombia, Brazil area, uh, the uh, the Triple Frontier of Trey Fronteras. I don't speak Spanish. I don't pronounce it well either. My apologies. Of like where Peru, Brazil, and and Colombia all kind of combine around the city of Leticia, which is sadly currently going through a lot of chaos with what we're all dealing with right now. But Joe started that with a good friend of his down there and they have begun this amazing company and this business where they bring people from all over the world to learn jungle skills from the Yakuna, the Matisse and other indigenous people of Colombia through Tanamboca Nature Preserve which is Goran's company and Bushcraft Global which is co-owned or co-run by Joe and Goran and I got my chance last summer to cut my teeth on a tropical jungle for the first time in my life. I've been in the subtropics of like Florida, uh, basically the Everglades, and that was the most I'd ever done. I was like, you know what? I don't ever want to go to the tropics. It's hot, it's balmy, it's muggy, and there's a bunch of things I want to kill you. And the closer you get to the equator, the deadlier things seem to be. And Joe talked me through it. Didn't talk me into it, he talked me through it. And I was like, okay. Follow your guide. Don't let them get ahead of you. Stay near them. Make sure they're trustworthy guides. And then he finally went, you know what? You can just go with my company. And he organized a trip for me and a, and a friend of mine to go down last summer. Uh, and they pampered us. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I'm still dreaming of going back. I'm the guy that is terrified of the jungle. I'm the guy that's terrified of the idea of going to the jungle. And I cannot stop thinking about going back because Joe took such good care of me. And I didn't get to meet Joe Flowers in person until last summer. I've known Joe since 2010. It was 2019 that we got to finally meet. That's saying something. That's saying a lot that it took too damn long, Joe, and it's taking too damn long to see you again. I miss you, brother. I love you lots. I love you loads. You are one of the most entertaining and most educating, uh, educative people I've ever met in my life. And I adore you, and you are so inspiring to me on how to make my business grow and how to make myself a better businessman. You're awesome. Stay crazy. And then around the time that Joe and Brothers of Bushcraft was starting to like, you know, really kick off, you know, 2012, 2013 era... A new guy kind of came into the fold through John, through John Campbell. He goes, hey, guys, there's another guy out there that I really think we should start talking with. And I think he's really cool to meet. And at the time, he went by the nickname Norseman. And that's retired gunnery sergeant David Williams of the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, Marine sniper, 
one of very few Americans to be qualified as a NATO SEER instructor. NATO, North Atlantic Trade Organization, he can train SEER school training of, for any military of any NATO country. Practically anywhere in any NATO country itself. Only at the time that I last asked, it was like three Americans in the whole world that are qualified to do that. And SEER is survive, evade, resist, escape. It's the Rambo stuff that everybody pretends that they know because they joined the army. And they did a couple of, you know, they did some basic training and they did this and that. No, no, no. Norseman was doing that stuff. Norseman did the uh, Norway course. Norseman helped run the Marine Corps Survival School. I believe he was the head instructor, if not one of the head instructors. And so Norseman is just this badass mamba jamba that I have the utmost respect for and honestly a little bit of reverence and fear of because <laughs> he's one of those guys who would make sure that I would die tired if I tried to run away but he's always been down to earth he's always been friendly to me and loving to me I've only got to see him twice now in the last few years the first time was during that trip with Mikhail and Rob he was one of the third the third guy to come up uh, with Rob and Mikhail for uh, the Brothers of Bushcraft trip of 2015. The last Brothers of Bushcraft trip to date. Um, since then, Rob and Mikhail and Norseman decided to move on to a cooler project. Not a cooler project. A new cool project called Pace Count. A uh, really cool project where they basically are just trying to set the pace for everybody else on outdoor learning and outdoor skills and survival. And it's so cool to see where they've gone with it. I was invited to join them, but I was really focusing come 2015, 2016. I want to focus my heart and soul into Canadian bushcraft. So I even stepped away from Brothers of Bushcraft and everything else and focused my entire career on Canadian bushcraft. But Norseman had, when he first arrived, immediately big hug. And every time I've seen him since, every time we're saying goodbye, every time we're saying goodnight, big hug. Norseman is real cool people. When he retired from the Marine Corps, he had moved his family with his awesome wife, Angel, uh, up into Idaho. And they've basically been a homestead for themselves. Where Norseman makes beautiful leather work, but his, as does his wife. His wife is one of the coolest leather workers I know. Up there with my buddies Dave Ross and Crow and all these awesome leather workers. And so often, not always, but often, Angel makes the sheaths for the knives that Norseman makes. Norseman is a proper bladesmith. I am a backyard shade tree blacksmith and bladesmith. I make blades that will work. Norseman makes works of freaking art with his with his hands and his mind, the insanity behind those eyes. And he makes some of the toughest, most hardcore blades, like the hog knife, the pig, all these cool blades, the snap card, all these cool blades that he's designed over the years that are just so badass and originally started off with a youtube channel called survivology 101 and then he started up his own knife company and calls it survival hardware and the most recently in the last year or so norseman has really picked up the pace on youtube content of video content but also social media content in general including his own podcast around like i started 
dabbling with a podcast since 2016 with my buddies Paul McCarney and John Gadozzi. And then nothing really ever came of it because we had they they had to move on to other things. Uh, Paul moved on to Nor- uh, Labrador, uh, Northern Labrador, amongst the Inuit people. Um, John went back to his hometown north of Huntsville, and we just couldn't get together to actually record stuff anymore. So I kind of gave up on podcasts and making a podcast happen. And then Norseman, just out of the blue this year, around the same time that we started getting everything ready to start making this Canadian bushcraft podcast, Norseman just starts firing out these amazing, hilarious, sometimes depraved podcasts called the Socially Disabled Podcast. Uh, It's not everyone's cup of tea, but I love it. It is an amazing podcast where they talk about everything from survival to military experiences, helping each other through PTSD. It's a very military, veteran-directed and targeted podcast. And as someone who's never served in the forces, I I can only fathom what these amazing people are going through with retirement and becoming a vet and all that kind of stuff and listening into these podcasts you can tell that Norseman cares as much as he's having it just doing it for fun and to keep his head sane he cares and he loves it and it's amazing to listen in on I love every episode I listen to in my eyes Norseman can do no wrong like Norseman could kick a puppy while shooting an old lady in front of me and I'd be like that puppy and that old lady must have been doing some evil horrendous things like I would have to question I would question Norseman but I would never ever ever think badly of him Norseman is a badass on every level in every playing field I adore him from tracking and hunting to firearms to survival skills. This guy's got it all going. And he's also just a badass, cool, fun guy. I adore you, dude. I really hope you're tuning in. You're one of my you're one of those guys in the in the family of my family of the boys who I'm always like, man, I hope he likes me. I really hope he likes me. I, I really hope I'm not making him annoyed or making him hate me. So I, if, I hope you're tuning in. I hope you're enjoying these podcasts, brother. And if you are listening, man, you do not understand how much respect I have for you and how much admiration I have for you. You are, you are at a level that I could only wish to attain with where you're at in your life and in your career and in what you want to be. It is incredible, and I have nothing but respect for you for that. Love you, dude. I love you. And that brings us to my final guy on the list, the guy that I only met back in 2014, around the time that we started doing these big trips with Norseman, Mikhail, and Rob, and all that stuff, and that's Nick Dillingham. Nick I met in like late 2013, early 2014, just before I left for Wyoming, and Nick was a basket maker and he was one of the few people on social media talking about mokatagans or crooked knives without doing just the flat or like oh yeah just a bent blade you stick into a handle with a funny handle shape that you can put a thumb on Norse uh, sorry Nick was diving deep into the actual culture the material culture around the mokatagan what he likes to call mokatagonism it's a way of thinking about your tools and a way of thinking about what you're creating. And it's an art form that he's really perfected over the years. He makes beautiful, 
beautiful, some of the most gorgeous black ash baskets I've ever seen in my life, which are traditional Budwadami or Potawatomi Nishnabek style baskets. And he also makes some other cultures baskets, including these really cool uh, corn baskets that are done specifically to carry one cob of corn for a married couple as a gift at the wedding ceremonies of the Haudenosaunee folks. But he also makes baskets that are for like corn washing and processing of of, of mandamin or traditional corn into making hominy, which is a lied corn, a hominy corn that can be easily digested. He makes these beautiful carvings. Some of the best wood carvings I have seen. Masks, bowls, cups, spoons, ladles, and even a dugout canoe. This guy is... when it, when, it, when it, what, what Norseman is to survivalism from a military standpoint and Mikhail is to tinkering and developing new camping gear and what Joe Flowers is to knife design and what Rob Mania is on practical genuine survival skills and learning from every walk of life and John is when it comes down to survival from the desert perspective to thriving in the desert not just surviving and learning every aspect of desert life that's what Nick is to the fiber arts, whether it's carving or weaving. Nick is the maestro behind a lot of things. And when we first started talking, we didn't get along. We didn't get along. But over a few months, we realized we got more in common than we have apart. And very soon, we started looking at each other as family. And the next year, in 2015... We had him come up to Canadian Bushcraft and we ran a basket course with him called, that we called a weekend of basket cases. And he and I played with everything we could with our students on that course. We were, he was weaving black ash, ba or sorry, white ash baskets. We pounded white ash uh, into basket splints and wove that. And then him and I found and selected a big white cedar and we cut it down and we split it into splints. And we had, uh, the next day, the students, after soaking the, uh, the splints overnight, we made baskets out of white cedar splints. Something that, honestly, I haven't seen really anywhere else. You see it sometimes with black spruce up in Meshkigawak country in the swampy Cree territories around James Bay. But white cedar, really nowhere have I ever seen a white cedar basket. And that weekend, we had everyone succeed at creating a white cedar splint basket bark baskets, woven willow baskets, all in a single weekend. And then over the years, him and I just connected at different levels. And I, he came back up the next year to do a black ash basket workshop up at Trent University that I helped organize poorly. I was not a very good organizer for that. My mistake on a lot of stuff there. Uh, but then another time that spring of 2016, going to 2017, actually I think it was 2017 at that point, um, we did a Mokotagan workshop and ran a, a the making uh, in a single day the shaping and making of Mokotagans or crooked knives, blades and handles combined, and it was absolutely amazing. I was barely able to be there because I was having a medical emergency, but while I was there, I got to experience amazing things with the students. Nick is at a different level than a lot of other people I know in this world of bushcraft, and a lot of people will argue with him and debate with him and think he's at their level. And that he only understands the same things that they understand. He's at a different level, folks. Nick breathes the indigenous life ways. And he inspires me through that. 
every time he shares knowledge, it astounds me and inspires me, makes me want to become better at my own people's traditional knowledges. Nick is a brother to the end of the day and the end of my days. He will be my brother. And the first crooked knife he ever made me, uh, in exchange for a bunch of stuff we did for each other, we'd always like trade skills and help and all that kind of stuff. He made me a crooked knife, a beautiful crooked knife, that is my cherished tool. And that Mokotagan, out of everything I own, I'll give it away. Almost everything I own, my my even my bundle and my pipe and my tools that I use in ceremony, all the way to my personal belongings, my favorite music, all my belongings in this house, they're all going to be given away to, to siblings and relatives and friends and family when I pass. But that Mokotagan is being buried with me. That Mokotagan goes with me into the next life because I admire it so much. I admire its creator so so damn much and Nick I don't know if you even pay attention to podcasts I don't even know if I'm even on your radar right now with the life you're living and trying to get everything you gotta get get done brother if you ever hear this I love you to the end of my days and I admire you and respect the ever living shit out of you pardon my French folks please never change You're an amazing individual, and I admire and love you. And to all six men who I talked about tonight, John, Rob, Mikhail, Joe, Norseman, Nick, I love you guys so much. I admire you guys so much. I respect you guys to the ends of the earth. I respect the crap out of you. Please, never forget me. Because you'll never be forgotten by me. I love you guys. Thanks to everyone else tuning in. This was the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with Caleb Musgrave. And this was The Boys, A Love Story. Me waxing poetically about the men who made me who I am today. Thank you. Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. I hope you're enjoying this wholesome, sometimes deranged content. We here at Canadian Bushcraft love creating it. We do this podcast along with our live feed videos and several other projects for free to make sure information is shared far and wide to everyone. But if you'd like to help support this project and our other variety of projects, we would be so appreciative. You can find a link to our Patreon account in the information section of this podcast episode. As a patron, you will gain our undying love and admiration. And depending on the tier you choose, you'll also get a few kickbacks in return. These include weekly patron-only articles, monthly one-on-one video sessions with myself or other staff to help you with the skills you're trying to hone at home, and also content such as this podcast one week sooner than the public gets it. You also get to have input on upcoming episodes as well as any future videos we produce. As a small business who wish to remain sponsor-free, we appreciate any and all support from our fans and followers. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a good day.